songbook and you need the song of invitation, it'll be song number 88. 88. Throughout history, mankind in general has pondered three basic questions. A lot of young people ponder these questions as well. From where did I come? Why am I here? And to where am I going? Those three questions confound far more people than they ought. The Bible gives us the answers to those questions. Genesis 1, 26 and 27, God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. We came from the hands and mind of a, the greatest designer of all time. We are made in the very image of Almighty God. Every human being, regardless of where he or she might reside, regardless of where they, where nation, what the color of the skin is or the gender is, is made in, from the same blood in the, in the image of God. Every individual is as important as the next person. Why am I here? Solomon said at the end of his conclusion to his life after he had searched through money and women and music and, and money and, 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 and uh, learning, Solomon said, let us hear the conclusion to the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole of man. We are here for one main reason and that's to fear God and keep his commandments. To where am I going? Solomon again said, once we leave this earth, our bodies goes back, go back to the dust from whence it came, and our spirits to God who gave it. Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 7. We're made in the image of God. We're here to fear God and keep his commandments. And we're on our way to eternity. Along that way, our lives are composed of three things. What we do or what is done to us, how we react to that, and then the character trait that that reaction makes in our life, whether it's good or whether it's bad. So at any point in my life, I can stop and analyze my life by saying, where am I based on what I have done and my reaction to what I have done and what that caused me to be or what someone has done to me how I reacted to that, and what that caused me to be. Our past, 
put with our present determines what our future will be. And at the end of my life, God can judge me because of what I became by the way I reacted. Along that way, God gave me scripture. God gave me his son to die for me. God gave me scripture and taught me how to react when people either do me right or do me wrong or when I do right or when I do wrong. God taught me how to act. So I can't blame my past. I can't blame anyone else. At Judgment Day, Jesus is going to be looking at David B. Jones to say what kind of person David B. Jones was in life based on my past, my present, and what I did with my future. Have your Bibles. I invite you to Philippians chapter 3. Paul addresses this very point in Philippians chapter 3. You know the background to this wonderful book. It's found in Acts 16 as Paul gets the Macedonian call when he's in Troas, uh, Acts 16, verse 7. He goes over and comes to Philippi. Through a process of events, he converts Lydia and her household and the jailer and his household, and thus the church in Philippi was established. It became so dear to the Apostle Paul that it was the only congregation that communicated with him in giving and receiving, Philippians 4, verses 15 and 16. While he's in prison, he writes this wonderful letter back to them. And in chapter 3, as we have it divided off in our English Bibles, Paul deals with and talks to the Philippians about searching for the prize of life. He wants to direct their minds and their thoughts as to how they live. And in the, in the uh, scripture reading, which Connor read for us, he talks about the past, the present, and the future. Putting it in the context of this chapter, verses 1 through 3, Paul will say, that there are those who are trying to stop the Philippians from having that prize. They're called Judaizers. And he warns them in verse 2 to beware of them because they're not of the circumcision that is the spiritual circumcision of the Lord's church, verse 3. In verses 4 through 6, Paul will say that they glory in, in the flesh, that is having a Jewish heritage back to Abraham, and Paul said, I could have gloried in that. Let me tell you about me. I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I was of the tribe of Benjamin. His name was Saul. Blameless according to the law. Persecutor of the church according to zeal. He said, I had every right as far as glorying in some physical um, connection back to Abraham, I had a, I was probably the, one of the greatest. That was his past. In verses 7 through 11, Paul will talk about what he did when he found the truth, when he was taught the truth. He said, I counted those things as rubbish. I counted those things as waste. I put everything behind me that I might attain the righteousness that's in Christ. He will say in verse 12 and 13, 
forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth to those things that are before me, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. There's the past, there's the present, there's the future. In verses 15 through 19, he will say that those who do that, who have put those things away, must walk by the same rule. That word rule is a Greek word for canon. It's the word canon, meaning a standard or a standard of, of, uh, of uh, teaching, a measurement. Now, I went to school in Tennessee, then in Mississippi, and two plus two was four. And when I moved to Louisiana, I found out two plus two was four. And I imagine that two plus two is four in Texas because that's a canon or a standard. There is one standard by which all Christians must live, and it's the word of God. And Paul says, however, there are enemies of the cross. And he said, I tell you, even weeping, not everybody walks by that same rule. And then verses 20 and 21, in his conclusion, I believe David's, most of David's lessons, I mean songs, which David always does a great job with that, were aimed at getting us to that crown. We're aimed at getting us to Christ when Christ comes. Paul says, here's what's going to happen when Christ comes. He's going to take this lowly body we have and he's going to transform it into the conformity of his glorious body if I win the prize. And so what I'd like for us to do for just a moment is take a look at those three components in verses 12 through 14. He says in verse 13, forgetting those things which are behind. Everybody who's in this auditorium this morning of any age at all has a past. And I don't imagine that every one of us would want things that we have done in our past put on the screen up here. because we would be embarrassed probably. It might have been something we thought. It might have been something we said. It might have been something we did. But everybody has a past. And if you're fortunate enough in this auditorium this morning to not have a past of anything that you can regret whatsoever, you are a blessed individual. Young people, live understanding that one day if you get older, you're going to look back on your past. Live good lives, clean lives, righteous lives now. You won't have any regrets when you get older. But if anybody could have a past and had to forget some things, it might be the Apostle Paul. He held the garments at the end of Acts 7 when Stephen was murdered. He listened to Stephen say, I lay, I lay not this sin to their charge. You know, later on in Paul's writings at the end of his life in 2 Timothy 4, he'll say, Alexander the coppersmith did me wrong, but God will reward him. In other words, I'm not going to charge him. And I imagine that every day after Paul heard Stephen say that, it never left his mind. And it drove him to be the good man that he became. 
He gave his consent to their death, Acts 22, Acts 26, on the steps of the castle and before Agrippa. He rehearsed his conversion and he said, I thought it necessary within myself to do things contrary to the name of Jesus Christ, to take these individuals and give my authority to have them killed. In 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 16, he will tell Timothy in his writings that he was injurious and he was a blasphemer. Paul was not a great person. Paul said, I had to forget that. I had to put that in my past. The way we are able to do that is through the blood of Jesus Christ. We're able to, he's able to remove that guilt from our hearts and our minds through his blood when we obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we believe that he is the Christ and when we repent of our sins and confess our faith and are immersed in water for the remission of those sins, when we do that honestly from our hearts, Romans 6 I mean, Romans 6, 17, and 18. His blood is able to, and that forgiveness is able to wash that guilt out of my heart. And we're able to put those things in our past. Even after we become Christians, we have an example of Simon in Acts 8, how that he fell once he became a Christian. And Peter told him to repent and pray that perhaps even the thought of his heart be forgiven him. Verses 19 through 21. So we're able to put those things in our past. And it's important that we put them in our past because, number one, if we don't put them in our past, then the devil will use everything he can to discourage us in the present. If we don't forgive ourselves, and if we're constantly looking over our shoulder into our past, then we can't run the race that's set before us with patience, 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, or Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. We can't run that race the way we ought to because we're looking over our shoulder and we're not having our eyes fixed on Jesus. And the devil will discourage us or others around us will discourage us when they say, well, I remember him when he was 20 years old. I remember her when she was 25 years old. I remember them 20 years ago. They weren't perfect. They weren't they didn't do everything right. And if we don't allow the blood of the Son of, G- of God to wash our sins away and remove that guilt, then we're going to live in that past. And Paul said, I'm forgetting that. And number two, if I don't put it away and continue to live in it, it will continue to drag me down. And it might overtake me in my present. So I have to forget that. Maybe somebody wronged you in your past. They may never have apologized. They may have apologized, but they may continue to treat you that way. What are you going to do about that? Are you going to continue to live in that in the past? Or are you going to forget that and move on? What happened plus the reaction gives me a character trait, good or bad. I have to forget those things that are behind. Number two, Paul said, I reach forward to those things which are ahead. The word reach forward means to stretch oneself upon. It was used 
in the Greek language in the first century of a runner who was striving for the finish line. Have you ever seen a good runner get to the finish line? In our day, we have cameras, right? And they, and they take pictures of that. Have you ever seen a good runner at the finish line doing this? Or how do you see a, a runner at the finish line? Leaning forward. How about a football player trying to get to the, the line to make or the yard to make or the end zone? When they get almost on the ground, they reach that football out as far as they can. Why? To get all they can get. Paul said, that's what we do here. We reach forward to get all we can get, to be all we can be for God. We put everything we have into being what God wants us to be now. We forget the past and we reach forward as far as we can with all diligence. A good study would be to take the word diligent or diligence and follow it through the New Testament. Peter will say in 2 Peter 1 and verse 5, besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and virtue knowledge and knowledge temperance and those eight Christian graces. He will say in 2, Timothy, in 2 Peter 1 and verse 10, wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, ye shall never fall. But notice, we have to put diligence into it. In chapter 3 and verse 14, he will say, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look forward to such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. Chapter 3, verse 14. We have to be diligent in our, in our Christian life. It has to have a purpose. We have to put an effort into it. We don't haphazardly go about daily life. We don't have to make a decision on Sunday morning if I'm going to go to worship service or not. That decision was made when we entered that baptistry, before we entered that baptistry. We don't have to, we don't have to make a decision necessarily if I'm going to help those who are sick, those who are in need, if I'm going to do what the elders asked me to do, if I'm going to help the deacons do what they need to do, if I'm going to teach the lost. Those decisions were made before I entered that baptistry when I obeyed the gospel. And now I carry that out with diligence. I reach forward as far as I can. I forget the past. And I reach forth. And then number three, he says, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call. The New King James says, King James says, I reach forward the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. The word mark or the word goal means something out front, some, some mark out there, some goal that I'm trying to reach. And the word press is interesting. It comes from a Greek word and it's most of the time translated in the New Testament, persecute or persecuted. Paul will say, I persecuted the church. Now, when, before Paul became a Christian, what kind of effort did he make to persecute the church? Did he say, well, if I run into one here or there, I might, 
try to get them. Or if I see one on the side of the road somewhere, I might go after them. Or was that Paul's goal? You know how far it was from Jerusalem to Damascus? It was about 144 miles on the ground. That takes us two hours to drive that today. How long would it take you to walk 144 miles? That's what Paul was either doing or riding a horse or I wouldn't want to ride. I'd rather walk 144 miles and ride a horse 140 miles. Do we have that kind of diligent heart to say if there's a soul 140 miles away from here, I'm willing to walk in 100 degree weather to get there to save that soul? But the Apostle Paul had the diligence and the zeal and the desire to walk 144 miles to Damascus to bind those Christians who were, who were of, the, of the way and bring them back and have them killed. That was the kind of zeal and the kind of goal that the Apostle Paul... The word press there means to follow after or to ensue with a goal of catching. In other words, I'm not just meandering around. I'm going after something, and I'm not going to stop until I get it. So the idea of being persecuted, being a persecutor was, I'm going to chase that person down no matter what it costs. Paul says, I am pressing toward that mark that way. I have a goal, and I'm going to reach it. You know how I know I can reach it? God said I could. He sent his son so I could reach that goal. And he told me to run that race with diligence and patience and endurance. Lay aside every weight. Put my eye on the Lord and don't take it off, David, and you can make it. And if I don't make it, it's my fault. And as kindly as I can say this, if you don't make it, it's your fault. You can't blame that on somebody else. God paid that way with blood. And he gave you everything you need to make it. And he gave me everything I need to make it. And Paul said, here's to the Philippians, here's how you make it. You forget that which is behind. You reach forth to that which you have and you press toward that mark. And guess what? One day, God will take this lowly body that you have and he will transform it into the image of his own son. And you'll see him like he is or you'll be like him. 1 John 3, 1 and 2. This word is used a number of times. I just want to bring a couple of them to your attention. In 1 Corinthians 14, we started to study last Sunday night of 1 Corinthians 13 in here in the auditorium on love. Paul will give all those characteristics in chapter 13. And he will say in 1 Corinthians 14 in verse 1, follow after charity. That's the same Greek word here that Paul uses. He tells the Corinthians, you reach for love with the intent of catching it because you don't have love, you're nothing before God. In Hebrews 12 and verse 14, he will say, 
the writer will say, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. He said, pursue peace with all men and holiness. If you don't have that, you're not going to see the Lord. Follow after it in order to catch it. And you can have the prize. And then at the end of this book, and then the lesson will be yours, he says, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also meagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body. Our citizenship is in heaven. I grew up in the state of Tennessee where the state capital was Nashville. Then I moved to Mississippi where the state capital was Jackson. Then I moved to Louisiana where the state capital was Baton Rouge. And then I moved to Texas where the state capital was Austin. The whole time, the national cap, uh, state or the national uh, capital of the, 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 uh, is Washington, D.C. Of, of the United States. But I'm going to tell you what. I don't care if my name is written in Washington or Nashville or Jackson Baton Rouge or Austin I want to make sure it's written in heaven because that's where our citizenship as Christians should reside and our connection to each other and our relationship to each other should be so special because of the blood that binds us together in fact Jesus said if you love your father more or mother more than you love me you're not worthy to be my disciple anyway Matthew 10 37 our relationship to each other, our bond in Christ should supersede any relationship we have, even if it's with our wife or our husband, our children, our grandchildren, or even our great-grandchildren, which we now have. My relationship to Christ should be right there. Why? Because my citizenship is in heaven. And I can get there if I'll forget the things that are behind, if I'll reach forward to the things that are here, and if I press toward the mark. What about you this morning? Is there something in your past you need to put back in your past and get, get past that? You may be here and not a child of God. You may never have obeyed the gospel. You may say, preacher, I don't think I can make it. You know how many people I've studied with in 35 years looking across a table or a desk and they say, they get up and walk away saying, I don't think I can make it. And I say, the Lord died on the cross so you can make it. I'm saying to you this morning, you can make it. It might be difficult based on your past, but Going to the cross wasn't an easy thing. Jesus made it possible for us to put our past away and to live in the present with an eye on the future. Heaven can be our home. You may be here this morning having obeyed the gospel and you may have something in your past that has come up since that time and you may say, I'm too embarrassed to walk down that aisle and, and to confess what I've done. 
You may think that brethren here will judge you, as the term is in our, in our culture, and think evil against you. I'll tell you this, if that holds you back, you need to overcome that. Because if you walk down this aisle and ask him for prayers and any of us judge you, we have a problem. James 2. James said, I, you don't judge your brethren like that. Because in judgment day, you'll have no mercy. Put your past away. Let the Lord take care of that. Live in the future with all diligence, reaching forth, and keep pressing toward that mark. And I promise you, heaven can be your home because the Lord promises that. If there's anything we can do to help you along that journey, we ask you to come.